two, three, break. Down the middle of the field, it is caught. Loose football. Who's got it? Down at the one-yard line. How about that? is the ultimate kibosh. <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back, I guess, to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. Here with me one last time. To talk about the Alliance of American Football is our resident AAF expert, I, I guess I should say former resident AAF expert, uh, Ian Harditz. He's the director of the Fantasy Labs NFL platform and an Action Network analyst. You can follow him in the Action Network app at iHarditz. Ian, I guess I should start by saying congratulations to us for making it through this day uh, and for lasting longer than the AAF did. And also congratulations uh, to us for making it seem like this league was actually something worth talking about for eight weeks. Uh, so anyway, we are, we are here one last time to talk about uh, the Alliance, which it seems has come to an end today. Ian, how are you doing? Today we spelled devastated, I-A-N. <laughs> I have not taken anything this hard in quite a while. And uh, it's all coming from a league that I barely even knew existed uh, more than two months ago. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting day. It's not like these signs weren't here when the league needed a uh, you know, new investor two weeks into the year to get the weekly paychecks done. That, that was quite a red flag, I think, that maybe we should have put a little <laughs> right. more stock into. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, it's it's unfortunate. I, I still enjoyed the last eight weeks. I enjoyed the uh, on-field product. I think more than a lot of people. I've seen a lot of jokes on the Twitter sphere. A lot of people taking uh, gratitude in this league's demise, and I won't have that. I'm not here for that. It was a good time, and uh, <laughs> it's unfortunate it didn't work out. But long live the AF, man. I, I love it to this day. I always have. Yeah. So I would say a lot of the people on Twitter who are probably mocking it, I don't know how much of the game they actually watched, but it was, it was decent. You know, uh, I feel like every third time I bothered to look at what was happening, uh, someone was injured, which uh, is a little problematic, but uh, you know, I feel like the, the on-field product was probably better than um, people are pretending that it was. And I should say there was a lot of fun in betting on it which, you know, is, is one of the main things that we are interested in here. Uh, but then especially because it was, it was a new league. So, like, no one really had any sort of edge over anyone else from, I'd say, like, a kind of a football knowledge perspective. You know, I'd say except, except for, you know, us maybe, <laughs> like a few people. Just be, you know, because you did some fantastic work on it. You know, there are other people who were really covering it in depth. And it was, it was fun thinking about how these teams that didn't exist – uh, a few weeks before how they would stack up against each other and how you could think about handicapping that. And it was, it was a fun exercise at a minimum. And I should say uh, it was a profitable experience, at least for me. <laughs> so so yeah. that was my no, I, I, I think you made a good point about it. it was a good experience at a minimum because I think the AF did lay some of the uh, frames and the groundwork for what it will take to kind of be a successful league eventually, if it is a possibility uh, with the XFR one, these other leagues, because 
we did have gambling opportunities. We did have daily fantasy opportunities with fan ball, but it just wasn't done well enough. It wasn't thought out well enough in advance to really capture the entire, I think, imagination of the gambling and the DFS public. But if these leagues are going to last longer than what we just saw, you know, they're going to need to really dive into those markets even more. So we saw that there's interest for it. So if um, these future leagues may correct some of those bigger mistakes, like the financing and all the money that actually takes to run a business, uh, I, I, do, I, st- I do still have some optimism for another league working in the future. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, get into it a little bit to talk about just sort of what happened because seemingly, you know, Monday started and it's like, oh, it's just another week of AAF action. We even created our rankings for week nine, which that's the real tragedy in all of this is that we've created wonderful week nine rankings, uh, industry best rankings, and uh, no one's ever going to see these. But uh, yeah, it just seemed like the beginning of the week, a normal week. And then all of a sudden you hear these rumors that the the new owner of the league, Tom Dundon, was being pretty serious in saying that if there wasn't some sort of agreement between uh, the Alliance and the NFL, specifically the NFL Players Association, that he would really consider shutting down the league. And it seemed for a day as if that that might just be um, positioning, kind of bluffing. But uh, no, that, that's an actual thing that we have found out he, he was serious about. Uh, so Ian, kind of talk to us a little bit about what happened. Yeah, I mean, it, it did kind of come a little bit uh, more quickly this week than I think uh, a lot of us were hoping for. Look, originally, Charlie Ebersol, Bill Poley, and the co-founders, they had a cohesive vision of you know having the league's long-term interest as a number one priority. They wanted to develop it as, a, as, as its own entity for the first three years before pursuing a potential minor league system with the NFL. The problem was Tom Dundon came in and pretty much wanted that minor league system immediately. So make sure you check out uh, Darren Rovell's report on the actionnetwork.com about how uh, you know, they, they did come to this decision and he has all the details with it. But again, I think the big issue here was just having that third kind of co-main investor in Dundon uh, who didn't necessarily have the same uh, long-term beliefs as ever saw in Polian was really what got the league uh, rolling downhill to start. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, what matters most and that is uh, the futures and the win totals, <laughs> the long-term bets uh, for this league. Uh, there are questions about what is going to happen to those. I would say that uh, I don't remember what your investment portfolio was in, in the futures. I was looking pretty good. I didn't have hot shots, but I had plus 1,200 on Birmingham and plus 500 on Orlando. And I, I feel pretty confident that there's a, a, a good shot that one of those two teams would have won, the Hot Shots being the, the third team that would have had a shot to win. And, and then we also had some win totals bets. There are questions now as to what will happen uh, with any of those bets. And obviously, it, it could be uh, different book to book based on what the exact bet was. Uh, but Ian, what have we been hearing about that? Yeah, I'm with you there. I had some good action on uh, Arizona and Birmingham to win the title, but never quite got that Orlando ticket. So it might have all been for not anyway. But yeah, so we got an interview from Jeff Sherman of the Westgate uh, Superbook. You can view the full article on Action Network as always. But basically what Sherman said is that as of right now, they're going to go ahead and just suspend betting on the AAF. Of course, maybe it's folding right now. They're suspending operations. There's an off chance it could come back. That's not going to happen, though. But the, the big point from this statement is that they will not be refunding future bets, assuming the league is, in fact, done. So not working out there for future betters. Even if you hit the over already, I assume it's just going to be canceled. So not great there. And then uh, the, big, the other catch is that if the league does decide to say, hey, Orlando, you guys have the best record. You're the best team all year. You're the champions. 
even if uh, the AAF goes out of their way to crown the Orlando Apollos as the league champs, that will not count for those that had Apollos tickets because they did not actually participate in the AAF championship game. So pretty unfortunate news, I think, for all AAF betters of all uh, shapes and sizes. Yeah, so it, it looks like uh, probably industry-wide there will end up being a lot of uh, no-action bets. Pretty disappointing, uh, I think. And you know, Steve Spurrier was asked about it. He said that he felt whether there is or is not a championship game, and this might be kind of meaningless distinction at this point in a league that uh, is almost non-existent, but uh, he feels that the Orlando Apollos should be the champions, uh, considering that they were 7-1, uh, and one. Uh, I'd say pretty clearly the best team in the league. But uh, yeah, Ian, where are we in terms of kind of like final seasonal standings? If we had to do power rankings with these teams, how are we looking at them? Yeah, I love the uh, Spurrier interview. He said, so we're all disappointed. But on the other side, we got to be the champs, right? We're seven and one. Next teams are five and three. I appreciate Spurrier's uh, point of view and staying on brand even even during a crisis like this. But it, it feels very Steve Spurrier. Yes, <laughs> you declare yourself a champion without having to play a championship game. Um, it, it seems like that would be the Steve Spurrier dream. I love it. Yeah, he's again staying on brand during a moment of crisis. Ultimate Spurrier. But yeah, seven and one. And the big thing was the point differential. I mean, we saw the Apollos. They weren't just squeaking by week after week. They were dominating, and they ended up the year with a plus one hundred uh, point differential. Whereas our two five and or, I'm sorry, three five and three teams, the Hot Shots were at plus forty two, uh, the Birmingham Iron were at plus thirty two, and the San Antonio Commanders were only plus four. So. Only four teams in the league had a positive point differential, and the Apollos were an entire 50 points better than the Arizona Hot Shots on the season. So I don't think it's a, a stretch at all to call them the best team in the league. I mean, again, we entered this week doing full-fledged research, assuming it was going to be a week nine. And we've known from week one that the Apollos have had the best offense in the league. That hasn't really been up for debate. But they even developed over the year, I think, one of the better defenses. Like their secondary was number one in the AAF in yards allowed per attempt. And it's a shame we won't get to see them kind of played out in the playoffs because I think uh, we might have seen a few more beatdowns. So unfortunate. But, yeah, and then the rest of the standings uh, went down to San Diego, Salt Lake. Uh, we're both three and five. And then Memphis and Atlanta finished at two and six. So uh, definitely made some money gambling as Atlanta throughout the year. Yeah, I think one of the real disappointing things of uh, week eight was that we couldn't finish. It's like you never know. It's it's the last week. You know what I mean? Like like some like there are things in life. It's like you don't know this is going to be the last time for this thing. Uh, if we would have known that week eight was the last week, it would have been nice to go out in in perfect form with Atlanta losing against the spread and Orlando winning against the spread. Um, but, you know, we didn't get that. We, we did get uh, Atlanta losing, you know, against Birmingham, which was, which was great. Uh, to be honest, the, the biggest bet I've made this year, uh, at least for AAF, was uh, Birmingham uh, because that line opened at just six, which was egregious. So that was, that was nice to get that. But, yeah, it, it, it would have been nice, you know, for Orlando to close as uh, victors against the spread one last time. All right. So – as of, you know, earlier today, hundreds of players are now unemployed. Uh, and so there's the question about what is going to happen to some of these players. There are some that I think played well enough to warrant strong consideration for uh, another shot at the NFL, I think. And I, I wrote about this on an article that you can find at the Action Network, of course. Um, but uh, there are five skill position players 
I think, and, and I mean, there are even more than this too, but uh, the, the primary five that I think probably deserve some sort of NFL shot, Charles Johnson and Rashad Ross, those two guys really stood out above all of the other wide receivers in the league this year. Uh, they were, you know, pretty much uh, one and one A. And Charles Johnson is the one that I prefer a little bit more just in terms of his college production, uh, his body type. Uh, he's, you know, a, a kind of prototypical big body guy, 6'2", 216 pounds, whereas uh, Rashad Ross is 179 pounds. And I, I think Johnson uh, has, I, I think, more versatility all the way around. Rashad Ross played almost exclusively in the slot. I think like 92, maybe 94% of his snaps uh, were in the slot. But, uh, you know, both of those guys are a little bit older. Johnson uh, is 30 this year. Rashad Ross is 29. But I think Johnson, and, and Ian, let me know what you think about this. I think Johnson can be someone uh, that, like a team that just needs a, a, you know, like a cheap, competent wide receiver three. They're not looking to invest uh, long-term in the position. They just need someone to come in and play now. Uh, I think Charles Johnson is someone who could do that. Uh, what do you think about those two receivers? Yeah, agreed. I mean, they separated themselves pretty early on in the league as the premier top two receivers throughout. And Johnson really didn't see a single team that could truly just put a single man on him and cover him throughout the year. I mean, he continuously got loose deep, intermediate and short areas of the field. It was a lot of fun watching him and uh, Gary Gobert. I agree with you. Charles Johnson is a better choice. But we saw Rashad Ross offer a little bit more as a returner throughout the yeah. year, a little bit more, uh, I guess, in other phases of the game. So I am wondering if uh, Ross perhaps has a better chance of latching on to our roster again. But yeah, both these guys should definitely get uh, another shot at the league. Yeah, and, and you are right about Ross in that he does have the the versatility of um, of being a return man. In fact, in, in his brief NFL career, uh, he did have 23.9 yards per return as a, a kick returner. Uh, and he was also a, a deep threat, which I think we would expect uh, 21.3 yards per reception uh, for his career, which uh, is pretty good. You know, plays exclusively out of the slot. So someone who, uh, you know, can run those shorter routes, go across the field, but he can also stretch the field. You mentioned Garrett Gilbert, uh, who is the one quarterback, and I guess maybe uh, John Warford uh, is someone who could intrigue people, maybe. But Garrett Gilbert is the the one guy that I think uh, probably deserves uh, another shot in the NFL. Probably never going to to be a starter, but uh, I think he's you know I think he's better than maybe half of the backups in the NFL. So he's someone I think probably deserves a shot. He's not young. He's 28. But, you know, for a quarterback, that's not all that old. Uh, and he was, I'd say, clearly, uh, you know, hands down the best uh, quarterback in the league. And then two running backs. And I should say, this is a league that I don't think had a lot of running back talent. But it is, it is hard to, I think, evaluate the position in these circumstances because there's very little offensive line continuity and it's just, you know, it, it's, a, it's a new system. They're rotating running backs in and out. But the, the two guys who caught my eye, and I, I kind of hate to say this first name, but Trent Richardson is someone I think probably deserves another shot in the NFL. Not because he was good at running the ball. He hasn't been good at running the ball for years. Uh, he had just 2.9 yards per carry, but he was excellent as a receiver. And he, he was always a at worst, a competent receiver in the NFL. And he was good in short yardage situations. And you compared him to like a better Matt Asiata uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I, I think that really is the the type of role he could, he could be. There are more than a few NFL teams that could use uh, cheap, big, 
running backs who have the potential to uh, excel in short yardage and to catch the ball, you know, to, to come off of the bench as your number two or number three guy. I think Trent Richardson can do that. And then the other runner uh, who caught my eye, uh, Terrell Watson, and I should just say, like, he's a guy I've just had, like, a, a long-term uh, flame for for a long time. So just, uh, you know, he, he's 26 uh, at this point. So he's he's not old, but uh, it was incredibly productive at Zusa Pacific and then had a great performance at his pro day when he was coming out. He, he was, like, 6'1", 243 pounds, uh, but fast, very explosive. Entered the NFL in 2015 as an undrafted free agent. He actually spent time with seven different teams, just kind of bumping around the league. Um, he was never able to really get much going in the NFL, but he was someone that coaches always seemed to like uh, and always like wanted to have on their roster. He didn't really do all that much, uh, big picture, in the AAF, but I think there are some reasons that can explain that. Uh, other than the the potential reason being that he's not that good. We'll just set that aside. But uh, the, the the positive reasons for maybe why he didn't do all that much, uh, he was in the Mike Martz offense, which uh, just somehow seemed even more antiquated than it did when we last saw Martz in the NFL. Uh, the offensive line was literally the worst in the league, at least in terms of PFF run blocking grade. And, you know, he was shuffled in and out, which is different running backs, uh, most recently Bishop Sankey. But, you know, he, I think, showed well when he was given the ball. And he also did well as a pass catcher, better than I think people would expect for a guy of his size. So uh, given, you know, his college production, his NFL experience, his size, athleticism, uh, what he did in the AAF, I would hope that he would get one more shot in the NFL. But those are the guys who caught my eye. Yeah, I definitely agree with you with Watson, especially the point where he he got a chance to, I think, show his ability as a receiver that maybe he wouldn't have gotten those same opportunities as a backup on an NFL roster or something. So hopefully uh, him kind of having eight weeks of evidence that he can serve as a backup in that three-down role will help him get another chance. And yeah, with Richardson, it's not that – I mean, yes, again, he, yeah, he, he's been terrible around the ball his entire career. I'm not trying to debate that, but – I think probably the reason why he wasn't able to stick around the NFL as a backup was because he was the former number three overall pick. And there's almost uh, – I think it's tough for the team and the player to go beyond that and then accept a non-alpha role in the lineup when you have that high a draft uh, capital in you in the past. So if Richardson's willing to come in and be the number three, number four back on a roster, you know, stick to pass downs and maybe uh, short yard situations, absolutely. I think he has the talent to do that. And, uh, yeah, the only other name I'll add at the quarterback list is I think uh, Zach Mettenberger really played well for a couple of weeks. Uh, we saw him get hurt. Unfortunately, that's kind of what helped bring Johnny Manziel to uh, Memphis originally. But after the Christian Hackenberg experience was over with, uh, we did see Mettenberger come in, really make some nice throws downfield. And he was kind of in a tough situation during his NFL career uh, with the Titans. So I would be interested in seeing Mettenberger uh, get another chance just in the preseason to show what he could do. And then two real quick names on defense. Got to give a shout-out. Uh, number one cornerback on number one secondary in the league, Jamar Summers, Birmingham Iron. Guy was making big plays from week one, uh, always around the ball. Uh, has that true? I believe he had eight interceptions as a freshman or sophomore at UConn uh, and then got moved to safety later in his career. So it'd be great to see him get a true chance to shine at cornerback on NFL roster. And then also uh, San Diego Fleet defensive end, Demontre Moore. Look, you can't teach Ben at defensive end, and Demontre Moore – routinely uh, showed the ability to pressure the quarterback from wherever he was lining up. So 
Oh man, it was fun. I hope we, I hope we do see a lot of these guys in the this upcoming preseason because uh, I feel like now we got a better scouting report than just about anyone on them. You know, uh, Demontre Moore. Like I wish he were still with the Cowboys. You know what I mean? Like I feel like they they need some defensive line help. Uh, he was with the Cowboys. Uh, I think was it his final season in the league, uh, or one of his final seasons at least. But I I wish. They still had him. Yeah, he's someone I think should uh, should get another NFL shot. And one thing that's interesting, you you mentioned Mattenberger. Like just thinking about the the quarterbacks that Memphis had. <laughs> you start with Hackenberg, Mattenberger, Johnny Manziel. It's just like I mean they were basically just Brandon Silver's too. I know. I mean they were just <laughs> cycling through through these guys. All of them were sort of like the the project quarterbacks that the NFL had vomited away. But uh, yeah, uh, Manziel uh, to like to go from Manziel uh, entering the league to like a couple of weeks later, the league literally doesn't exist. That is quite a swing. Let's close it out. I think by uh, sort of doing like a an in memoriam. What are some of the for you uh, top moments of uh, the short lived alliance? Yeah, so I made my final uh, article about the AAF, more or less an obituary for the league. So check that out on the Action Network if uh, you feel so inclined. But yeah, so just looking back at this league, uh, they were definitely, it managed to, even if it wasn't always the prettiest on-field product, it managed to usually give us at least one viral moment per week, it seemed like, on or off the field. Uh, week one, I think we all remember Mike Bercovici just getting absolutely crushed within about 20 minutes of the first game starting in his helmet flying halfway across the field. So I appreciate it throughout, throughout the season. There were plenty of big hits. I mean, when you have some bad quarterback play, there were some ugly games. I believe the final score of the last AF game was 8-3. to three. So there, uh, there are some situations where offense doesn't win out, but still was a league where uh, when we did see the defense dominate, there were still some fun plays. And even when uh, the on-field product wasn't great, we even had a fun halftime show sometimes. Uh, Matt, I believe your, your pin tweet is still – uh, this amazing world record halftime frisbee throw between a person and their dog. Uh, look, I feel like the AF. It was never meant to be the thing you're just locked into on your TV. But awesome, like side TV, your second TV in the room should have an AF game on it. And like that's the type of thing where you look up and you just see someone launching a frisbee to, your, to a dog on Saturday night. It's like, what's better than this? Yeah, I mean, really. So that <laughs> that pin tweet <laughs> has not aged well. It's it's a dog, right? Some guy standing in the end zone, throws a Frisbee 83 yards. The dog goes and catches it. Like, everyone in the stadium explodes cheering. That's probably, like, the high point of anything that happened in the AAF season. And what's sad is that above that, my tweet is, is literally 100% convinced that AAF is going to make it. <laughs> Oh, man, but in that moment, man, I believe yeah. with you. I would have gone for war over that statement. But a couple other good uh, social media flings AAF had. Do not forget, as recently as – I think it was, it was last, last week. week. <laughs> last week, we had Eminem pleading to, to save the league by allowing players to actually fight on the field and make it more like hockey. So, appreciate Marshall Mathers, you know, really giving it his all to save the AAF. Can't say he didn't try. And we also had, you know, NFL players didn't really shy away from it. I saw a bunch of uh, former Ohio State Buckeyes giving Marcus Ball a hard time a couple of weeks after he uh, dropped the ball, nearly short of scoring. And uh, the most relevant one was Patrick Mahomes 
actually recognizing the AAF's existence after Philip Nelson had that absurd over his head spinning no look pass. I mean, you know, it was obviously a joke. It was about three yards. It, it was never it was a terrible decision, even though it worked oh, yeah. out. But yeah, you know, Mahomes talking about raising his game. He's got working in. So again, it was fun to see the the NFL players embrace it. All the players embrace the idea of a secondary league. It, it seems like more of a money thing for not working out than anything. But yeah, and of course Johnny football coming. Uh, what are the things about the league that you liked and would like to see implemented in the NFL? As a Johnny lifer, I very much so enjoyed uh, watching Johnny Manziel play football in America again. It was a good change. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what comeback season has left because if you think Johnny Manziel's done, done playing football, you are mistaken. Uh, I'm willing to make a bet with anyone that thinks otherwise uh, for a cake. I'm 1-0 so far on the season. But yeah, so my favorite AAF rule change was the onside kick sequence. Because look, I've been a long proponent that I do like special teams. I like the I like kickoffs. I like the way it used to be played. But the fact of the matter is they are changing these rules. The NFL onside kicks, now that players literally need to be lined up on the line, it's almost impossible uh, to recover the ball these days. I think the conversion percent last year was 10% or under. So yeah. it's almost impossible to get the ball back now. And what the AAF did was – there were no kickoffs and their way of uh, giving teams onside kicks was a fourth and 12 conversion from the offense's own 28 yard line where you got a chance to pick it up. So I really like the idea of good quarterbacks always having one last chance to, with the, their hands, you know, fourth and 12, obviously not easy. Maybe they need to make it fourth and 15 for the NFL or something. Uh, that's a conversation we had, but I guess it was something that was actually brought up at the NFL's competition committee yeah uh, for a potential change in the future so that was the one rule that i think we could maybe see in the nfl sooner rather than later yeah i liked that they sped up the play clock i wouldn't mind seeing the nfl do that i liked that they that they made the uh review process for for calls that they made that public so you could sort of see what the referees were doing what they were looking at those are the the big things that i liked and i also liked some of the the camera work too I, I thought that was good. Uh, the NFL could maybe do some of that. But, uh, yeah, uh, I guess it, it just means that uh, we start uh, focusing on the NFL draft in earnest. And it is it is approaching. It is April. And, uh, you know, it is the month for the NFL draft. But, uh, yeah, definitely sad to see the Alliance fold. I'm going to look to get some Apollo's gear discounting. <laughs> that's that's definitely next, next on my list. Um, 100%. Yeah. Hey, quick question here. Uh, yeah. With all right, we're, we're now we're in the middle of off season. You know, we've at least I've been in the completely AAF grind for these last eight weeks. I see draft Twitter going nuts and all this. Do you think we have a tendency to overvalue rookies because of how much attention we pay to them from February to April every single year, and then all of a sudden, I would say half of their NFL outlook is almost tied to what team they end up on in that situation. And meanwhile, there's you know. 90% of the league that aren't rookies that we're more or less not paying attention to for three months. So I don't know. You've always been more into scouting prospects than me. So I guess as a entryway yeah. to our off season yeah. evaluation, I, I want to hear your pitch for why we should uh, pay so much attention to all these rookies. Well, uh, I'm okay. So we should pay attention to them because they are the new players. Uh, and so we have a sense of what the older players are going to do. We already know sort of how they function within their offenses. What we don't know is how all of these new guys are going to be factored in. So like they are the, the big unknown uh, for the upcoming season. That said, 
people absolutely overvalue the impact that rookies will have, both, I think, from a, a real football perspective and then also a fantasy perspective. So I should say, like, I'm reading, you know, you, you see a lot of um, sort of like scouting guides that get released this time of the year. So uh, I'm reading one of them right now. And um, they have ranked 11 quarterbacks this year who they think will either be uh, at a minimum high-end backups or potential starters. And that number is disgusting. That is so uh, historically inaccurate. Like no class in NFL history has ever produced 11 such quarterbacks. You know what I mean? So I think it's, it's easy to overvalue what any given player or any group of players is going to do in the NFL. If you look back even two or three years at, let's say, like uh, rookie drafts in dynasty leagues, most of those players at this point would be like totally irrelevant. Like you probably couldn't come up with uh, an entire first round of players you would actually want. But if you go back in time three years, there was so much hype around all of these players, even guys who were going in the third round. You're like, oh, I can't believe this guy was still available in the third round. We entirely overvalue the future production of rookies coming into the league. I'd say especially before they, uh, they actually go through the draft and are joined with teams. Um, because when they're just prospects, people, I think, view all of them through a best-case scenario. You know what I mean? So it's like they overvalue the, the, pro- the possibility of any, any given guy joining a good team, and then they overvalue the possibility of kind of regardless of what team that guy is on, of uh, what he can do in his first three years in the league. So yeah, um, it's really easy at this time of year for everyone to have inflated estimations for what these players should do. That said, I'm a total rookie optimist. Like I, I, I buy into it like uh, every year. The, the one thing I, I should say about this is I feel like I at least have a realistic perspective on this. Like historically, like I know I'm probably too high on certain players, either because there are just too many players in general for me to be, um, for me to think that all of these guys are going to work out. Or at least I know like historically guys who look like this uh, don't, tend to work out in the NFL. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I have to say about the rookies. I like it. I think I'm probably still a little bitter uh, in my internal self for how screwed I got with Mike Giusecki's no-show last week one and uh, Philip Lindsay really coming out of nowhere to ruin all my Royce Freeman shares in season <laughs> long. So it's, uh, it's a learning experience, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting after now that we don't have any other live football to appreciate, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, as a sign of how seriously we are taking the demise of the AAF, uh, we have not done an ad read this week. I just wanted to kind of point that out. You know, some things must be sacred. Uh, We aren't going to commercialize uh, our sorrow by uh, (laughs) bothering to talk about about Roman or uh, any other any any other person who wants to pay us money to talk about them i thought that was the lead in that would have been brilliant and uh, i know yeah Yeah. (laughs) i I was (laughs) yeah i was i was thinking about it or or audible (laughs) or you know any anyone else but uh so yeah that's ah that's the show um ian we have done our week nine rankings but uh alas uh, they will never see the light of day any final thing to add here yeah if someone wants to read my uh 
four to five quarterback blurbs I wrote up today before uh, <laughs> finding out the league was defunct. Go ahead and just hit me with a DM on Twitter, and I got you for free, no paywall. Yeah, uh, it was funny. Uh, Sean Corner sent a message uh, on Slack being like, hey, uh, you know, I'm doing my power rankings, but I'm seeing that this league might not exist anymore. What should I do? <laughs> you know, uh, so anyway, yeah, that was that was the beginning of the end. He said, yeah, uh, any of you have info on that developing story? And, and Scott Miller, our uh, deputy editor, just uh, yes, more info coming soon. So. stop writing now <laughs> yeah stop, stop writing so anyway uh that is that is the end of the alliance and i should say the the end of the alliance podcast uh unless they somehow magically come back in which case uh, we, will, we will delete this episode from the archive and pretend as if it never happened but uh yeah that is the end of this episode of the action network nfl podcast please rate interview the show on itunes for Ian, for the sad, sad Ian, I am Matthew Freeman, Matt at the Oracle. See you again next episode. R.I.P.A.F. <laughs> <laughs>